everybody. Welcome, welcome. Happy Sunday. I hope everybody's had a great weekend. Fall is definitely. Hey, everybody. Happy Sunday. I hope we all had. Sorry about that. I hope we all had a great weekend. I know I did. Fall is definitely upon us, and I'm loving every second of it. This this high high as it's going to be this week is 85, and I'm happy as a clam about that. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Hunt Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal issue, we can get to you. It might take us a while, but uh, we definitely will get to you. In the case that we can't get to you, we do have uh, mediums on staff that can call you and talk to you about what may be going on. And in most cases, they can settle down what's happening. I want to welcome TikTok. Hello. Uh, just a quick word with TikTok over here is that uh, you are on my phone coming up right now. And unfortunately, I cannot see you because I have old eyes. I have old eyes. Uh, soon, hopefully, within a month or so, I'm going to get that rectified and get you up on my get you up on my new tablet. But uh, till then, this is what it is. It is what it is. I can't see. However, I know you're there. Also, you will see that I that uh, well, I'm going to make it clear right now. This is a PG-13 rated R channel. So if you hear something today that you don't agree with, or you know, it makes you nervous or something, just move on. That goes for Facebook and YouTube and all the other places we're broadcasting from today. Just move on because I don't, you know, no, no point turning me into the TikTok police or the uh, Facebook police or whatever. Just, just move on. You know, there, there's other channels you, you guys can go visit. People you can visit. All right. Um, if you're watching from Facebook today and you like what you see, please be sure to hit that follow button if you haven't done so already. We read every Sunday. I read every. We I say we because it's a big company. You know, my producers and all that. I read every Sunday from a for an hour from a paranormal theme book. It may be a fantasy book. It may be a true life paranormal encounter book, like what we're reading tonight. Uh, but I do it every Sunday, and so it's kind of like a it's kind of like a wind down from the weekend. So if you're eating dinner, you can listen. If you're cleaning house, you can listen. Carry me around. I have people that carry carry me around while they do laundry. Uh, you know, so. I don't know back me, but it's fine. You want to carry me around when you're doing your business? Hey, I'm good. I'm good about it. I'm good for it. But uh, it's a way to relax, you know. And if some people, if you're done for the day and maybe you're sitting down with your coffee or hot cocoa or something, um, yeah, do that. You know, sit, lay down on your couch, sit down on your recliner and put your flip, put your fluffies on and, and enjoy it. Turn the lights down and enjoy it. Uh, the book I'm reading is by Lynn Monet, and it's available on Amazon if, if you so desire to get it. To get it. And uh, it's based, it, 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 it is a true story. And Lynn and her family, uh, Lynn bought her family a new house. The first book was on the present. She bought her family a new house. And uh, as they were moving in, weird things started happening in this house. And it got so bad because some of it was negative that they could not even move into the house. They ended up selling it before they even moved in. But that did have lasting effects. And uh, Lynn at some point realized that she had psychic abilities. And so, um, this is the story of the continuation from that because the house hasn't left them all together. Let's put it that way. Okay. She well, then went and did a lot of research on this house. And so we're going to be reading about that. Uh, different people that were affected by this house, you know, when it was sold, no, no one said anything to anybody about this house being haunted or active. Okay. And if you can help me out over on TikTok, right, you can help me out. Uh, Double tap that screen. I'm trying to reach 4,000 likes today. That's 4,000 likes. So you can double tap that screen. I would really appreciate it. That would be great and nice of you if you like what you hear. Also, I do have a goal for uh, 50 Lucy Llamas over there. And uh, 
You don't have to donate anything. I, and I'm not that kind of person, but if you do, it will help with my uh, monthly bills. I'd really appreciate it. You know, so if you could do that, that would be great. Plus, I'm just starting out on TikTok, and and it, it would help. I'm trying to build everything up, right? Do you want to hit that follow button as well today? Because we not we don't only do this, you know, read, read a paranormal book on online. We also do other shows Monday through Friday on on the paranormal. It's uh, UFOs and all kinds of things like that. Okay, again, uh, YouTube. Just like Facebook, if you haven't done so already, uh, you're watching from YouTube today, you like what you see, please feel free to subscribe. We're trying to reach that 1,000 subscriber mark. Uh, subscriber mark. We have a little over 300 to go now and getting closer, inching closer, but that, uh, we still need that, that extra push. So if you could do that, that'd be great. Uh, we are airing on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, and Twitch today. So we're, we're live and... Uh, it's exciting, you know, and if you want to help us out too, over on the, all the social media works the same way, all right? Leave me happy faces, leave me hearts, leave me stuff like that, because what that does is that puts us higher up in the FYPs. Thank you. I see it. I see somebody leaving me hearts. We're going for 4,000 today, guys. Double tap, double tap. Uh, and the more you do that, the more that puts us out to everybody else to see the show, okay? It gets, it gets the attention of, of the powers that be at, at, at all the social media platforms, and it and they put us out there. Also, commenting helps. All your comments do help. That goes for Facebook and YouTube as well. And again, if you guys like what you see, feel free to uh, feel 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 free to join us. You'll subscribe over at YouTube, uh, um, follow over on Facebook, follow here on on, on TikTok, and also um, I do have a subscription thing for TikTok. If you feel like you want to subscribe, we are going to be doing a lot more on TikTok, and I have a couple shows planned that I'm going to be doing, and I think you guys are going to like it. But like I said, we're just starting out getting our feel for it. So what's going to happen today is I'm going to start reading in about two minutes. And uh, I'm going to be reading off of PDF for you guys. And it's omnipresent what happened next. And uh, please double please double tap that screen. Again, we're trying to get 4,000 likes. Facebook, YouTube, show me some love today. And uh, I love to see the loves. I love the loves. And if you can find it in your heart, drop me a, some coins. You know, or I'll run YouTube. I'm, I'm, I'm getting all confused. Over on TikTok, there's too many of you. Over on TikTok, drop me some coins, and, uh, you know, that would be cool. Or maybe even a Lucy the Llama. It just depends what you want to do. How about some stars, even? Some of those shooting stars would be kind of cool. Uh, Facebook's the same thing. You can see I have a thing going, a uh, uh, thing rolling underneath. Um, you know, if you feel like you like what you see every week when we're here to donate, you can donate at paypal.com forward slash California Haunts Radio. Or you can donate at California Haunts Venmo. It's that easy. Okay, well, without further ado, let's get into this. And like I said, I'll be reading for about an hour. We are in Chapter 7. It's called Abigail. And uh, let me, I'm going to make this as big as I can because, like I said, I'm blind as a bat. So give me a second. Okay. Anyway, I can read that now. <laughs> Never get old, guys. All right, here we go. And this is Omnipresent. What happens next? And double tap that screen for me. Double tap that screen. Let's see if we can hit 4,000. Um, likes on here. Okay. Abigail was a lady of means and good standing in the community. She had a magnetic personality and was loved by all who knew her. Abigail and her husband had come to the facility where Lynn worked to plan for their future and invite needs. Lynn's a nurse, by the way. Abigail and her husband had no children or any other living relatives. They were seeking three levels of care in anticipation of her medical needs as they got older, of their medical needs as they got older. The place they had chosen was an upscale facility with independent assisted living and skilled nursing. 
Lynn worked as a nurse in the skilled, in the skilled unit and would venture in, into the other levels as needed. Lynn first met Abigail after she had a fall in her apartment and was hospitalized with a fractured hip. Abigail came to the unit for post-operative care and monitoring. Abigail quickly became one of the patients Lynn enjoyed visiting. Abigail was always smiling and had a bit of spunk. She also loved telling jokes and sometimes dirty ones. One evening, Lynn entered Abigail's room and saw she was in her bed with a concerned look on her face. Where did your smile go? Lynn asked. Lynn, you know I'm not crazy, right? Abigail said. Define crazy, said Lynn. Like, as in fun or mentally crazy? Mentally, Abigail replied. Puzzled. Lynn asked, why are you saying that? I'm anxious to go back to my apartment, Abigail said, because the doctor here was in today and came to see me. He wants to start me on medication for dementia. He says I'm hallucinating. Lynn knew Abigail had been seeing and speaking of her deceased parents and knew what that meant. She could be starting her physical decline. Lynn evaded saying it out loud and instead asked, has something changed since I was here last? I've seen my deceased parents a couple of times, Abigail told Lynn. I know they died many years back, but they've been coming to visit me. They look just like I remember them and they talk to me. I can hear them the same as I hear you. Abigail started to cry. Then she exclaimed, Lynn, am I crazy? I don't think so, Lynn replied, as she reached out and placed her hand on Abigail's shoulder to comfort her. Abigail sobbed. Really? Lynn handed her some tissues, looked her straight in the eye, and said, Really? The visits make me happy, Abigail said. I've missed my parents so much. I don't want the visits to stop, but the doctor ordered medication to start tomorrow morning for hallucinations, and I don't want that medicine. I'm not telling you not to take the prescribed medication, Lynn said. However, one has the right to refuse medication. Legally, it cannot be forced on you unless you are deemed incompetent or unable to speak for yourself. Even if you are unable to speak for yourself, that is, where your health care power of attorney steps in and speaks on your behalf. Make sure to make your wishes known to them, including your concerns about taking certain medications, so they can advocate as need, for you as needed. Plus, I was told by the off-going nurse they're planning to discharge you home tomorrow afternoon. Abigail smiled and said, Please do not mention what I've told you. They might make me stay longer. What you have told me will go no further, Lynn reassured her. Legally, I only have to disclose if I've been told about someone hurting themselves or another. This I don't have to tell anyone because it's not causing harm to anyone. Lynn hugged Abigail and told her how much she enjoyed getting to meet her and be a nurse. As Lynn headed for the door, she looked back and said to Abigail, please tell your parents I said hello. Then she winked at Abigail and left the room. About six months later, Abigail's health, health had deteriorated faster than her husband's to the point of her needing permanent care in the skilled nursing unit. She was given a private room and bathroom where she resided for almost a year. Many days when she woke up, she would talk about seeing her parents during the night. She would even insist at times that she needed to let her parents know where she was so that they didn't worry about her and would walk the halls in search of her parents. She even said that she knew they had passed away, yet she continued, continued to look for them since she said they came to visit her. Sometimes Abigail would even try to leave the unit to find them. Nurses would chart about how Abigail would lie in her bed at night 
lifting her hands up in the air as if she was receiving something given. She would talk about how beautiful the item she had been handed that no one else could see. She would talk to people in her room by name. It was confirmed later by her husband that the names of the visions Abigail was talking and laughing within her room were the people who had died in her family. Her medication was increased and changed multiple times. The doctors ordered all different kinds of medication for dementia and hallucinations to be administered to Abigail. Regardless of how many times her medication was adjusted, Abigail would continue to talk about souls that were visiting. Abigail didn't like taking the medication. She knew what her routine medications were and looked like. She would notice if there was a new one. She would say, that's the one they gave me because I see dead people. She said she didn't like talking to those because they, they made her feel different. They didn't like taking those because they made her feel different. Yet she complied. And it still didn't stop her from seeing dead loved ones. One day, Lynn was working her shift when she noticed yet another psychiatric medication added to Abigail. Abigail was now one. Abigail was now one she had regularly, according to the nurse going off shift. Abigail was now also seeing people during the daytime. A woman and a little girl, the nurse said, and during the week they were having a problem with Abigail take, taking her dessert or cookies back to her room to give to the little girl. There was a concern that eventually it would draw bugs to her room. Lynn was passing off the evening medications, and she lingered in the room with Abigail. Abigail was so excited to tell Lynn about her friend and the friend's little girl who had come earlier that day to visit. She went on about the cute dress the little girl had on and her shoes. Lynn listened and told Abigail she was glad that she had visitors that made, made her happy to see. Abigail frowned. Only I can see them. Lynn smiled and replied, well, perhaps you have a gift. The doctors don't think so, Abigail said. They think I'm hallucinating, old and getting dementia. Lynn asked if she could give Abigail a hug and said to her, I think, you're, I think you are amazing, no matter what anybody else says. They hugged and laughed. Then Lynn handed Abigail her cowbell, moved her, moved her water close, and left the room. Two days later, Lynn entered a day shift for another nurse who ended the day off. After lunch, when all the clients were settled in their rooms, Lynn proceeded down the hallway to do her client treatments. She always started at the end of the hallway and worked her way back. As Lynn walked down the hallway in the direction of the treatment cart, she passed by Abigail's room. Abigail was sitting in the far corner of her room in her recliner. She was leaning forward and extending her arm while holding a piece of cellophane wrapped butterscotch candy. As Lynn pressed past the room, she saw out of her peripheral vision a glimpse of a woman with dark, long, straight, waist-length hair. She wore a denim long skirt and a white long-sleeved peasant-type blouse. The little girl also had similar long, dark hair, only with bangs. The little girl had on a light-colored dress with a white pinafore over it that was tied in the back. She also wore a black slip. She also wore black slip-on dress, dressy-style shoes with white socks. They were standing directly in front of Abigail. Both were facing her. The dark-haired woman's hands were placed on the girl's shoulders as she stood in front of her. The girl appeared to be about five years old, and the woman in her mid-twenties. Lynn remembered thinking to herself, Abigail has visitors today. She recollected and did not remember the visitors checking in at the nurse's desk. Fire codes required the facility to have an accurate count of everyone in the building in case of fire emergency. Lynn had been sharding for the last hour at the nurse's station and would have seen them come through. Lynn hesitated in the hallway and stepped backwards in Abigail's doorway. 
She knocked on the door frame and said, Hello, Abigail, Abigail invited her in. Abigail was still sitting in a recliner, talking and offering candy to what appeared to be under window air to what appeared to be her under window air conditioner. Lynn walked in further, expecting the two people to still be in the room. They were not. Somewhat puzzled. Lynn knew what she had clearly seen just seconds before. She remembered thinking, it did not pass me when I entered the room. I then saw movement out of my peripheral vision next to me. Isn't she a beautiful girl? Abigail asked. She then went on to say that she didn't know their names, but referenced them as my two friends. Abigail, being a woman of means and good upbringing, politely introduced Lynn to her friends. Lynn turned in the direction that she had originally seen the people standing in and said, it's nice to meet you. You can see them? Abigail asked. Lynn had to admit that she had, as she didn't think anyone else could. Abigail said, don't say anything about seeing my friends or they'll medicate you too. They both chuckled at the comments. I know they are from the place that I came from, Abigail said. I know I'll be going home to where I came from soon. She, she smiled. Sometimes they bring my parents with them. Our secret's safe with us, Lynn reassured her. About a month later, Abigail was in active decline. She mostly wanted to stay in bed and lay with her eyes shut. She, she was eating very little. When Lynn entered her room, she placed her hand softly on Abigail's hand and said, Hello, friend. Abigail recognized Lynn's voice and opened her eyes. I'm so happy I get to see you one more time, Abigail told Lynn. I'm going home tomorrow with my family when they come to visit. They're going to take me with them this time. My, fa my family likes you, Abigail continued. They say you are loved very much on their side, too. Lynn's eyes started to well up with tears. Continue to share your gifts helping people, Abigail went on. Help people see beyond what they know. Lynn made sure Abigail was comfortable in her call bell within reach. Lynn went to exit Abigail's room, then stopped at the foot of her bed and said, May you have a smooth journey home, and until we meet again, take care of yourself. Lynn was not working the next day. Abigail peacefully went home with her family at 10.15 p.m. At around midnight, Lynn was gently awakened by the glow of a soft light and heard Abigail's melodious voice. She said, I made it home. More and more studies are being performed on our brains, yet there are still some areas of the human brain whose function, which function is unknown. Perhaps those unknown parts of our brain are used for something beyond most people's nature, natural range of perception and comprehension. Oftentimes, in a clinical setting, people who expose these accelerated or advanced ranges of perspective frequencies are medicated to look like everyone else so that the society does not have to feel uncomfortable around them, nor will what these people's abilities expose be questioned. Their visions are denied and considered in invalid. They are labeled as demented, hallucinating, and, del and delusional. Keep in mind, once again, that this is not referring to the person seeing pink elephants on the wall. It's when one is talking about hearing and seeing deceased people that they usually recognize from this lifetime, such as their deceased parents. There have been so many cases of people with near-death experiences who have come back and given accounts that fall short of a good explanation through scientific means. These people all tell similar stories upon return. There are many people who tell about visions of loved ones prior to death. They not only speak of seeing deceased people or are overheard talking with deceased people, but they might speak of the presence of certain deceased people to others in the room also recognize that others in the room that others in the room also recognize this is not random when a person's physical body is actively transitioning in the, in the absence of breathing 
The soul is preparing itself for its homecoming, as are the loved ones on the other side. During this time, the curtain between the dimensions, Ephesus, and loved ones from the other side enter our third dimension. One might hear the departing soul talk to the deceased family members in the room. This can be a very beautiful time that is frequently missed by embodied souls in the room. One's reaction and comfort level with spirits they cannot see in the room is important. If one can remain in control of their emotions and remain neutral, they can have this time to also connect with loved ones on the other side. If they sit quietly and close their eyes, they may also be able to feel the elation and love that those spirits bring. Angels and the beings from the other side carry such a high vibration that it can increase the emotion one, one may be feeling. So many people are caught up in the loss and don't realize the opportunity at this time. When the passing of Aunt Nellie talks to Uncle Joe, who passed away years before, one can ask a question, and through Aunt Nellie, who can see Uncle Joe, clearly he can respond. How many times has one heard themselves say to another how much they would give to tell a loved one on the other side that, that they love them more that they love them and want them one more time? Or to ask Uncle Bob where he put the so the so-and-so or to apologize for something they regret. Here is the opportunity. So don't call the nurse for medication because Aunt Nellie appears to be hallucinating. This is really happening, whether one is comfortable with it or not. After all, it doesn't seem to bother Aunt Nellie. It might even make her happy. Ask Aunt Nellie if a particular deceased loved one is in the room. If you're wondering, and be prepared for her answer. She will also be able to tell you. Chapter 8. Let me do a little bit on here. I'm just trying to make this so I can read without any issues here. Don't get old, guys. Okay, again, uh, Becky Dawn Street. Is, uh, okay, Chapter 8, Becky Dawn, Becky Dawn Street. Uh, if you like what you hear, double tap that screen. I'm trying to build up. I would like to get 4,000 likes today. Double tap that screen. Uh, Facebook, YouTube, and all those other places. Be sure to leave me some smiley faces and some thumbs up and stuff. And comment if you want to. You guys can comment, right? So double tap that screen. See if you guys can get me to 4,000 likes today. Lynn's lease was coming close to the end. She had hoped to lease the place she was living in for another year. After all, she had been an excellent tenant. So it was a huge shock and financial stress when she found out the landlord decided not to renew her lease, as he planned to sell the property and move out of state to retire. Lynn needed a place to move into with her son, Austin, who was finishing high school, and her youngest daughter, Aria, age eight, who was in third grade. Lynn was given 30 days notice. The news came while she was away out of state on vacation for a week. When Lynn returned to her rental, she had 14 days to find a new place, as well as pack to move a household and seven more days to be completely moved with the rental with that rental clean. Due to her having a third child later in life, she was court ordered to stay in the county where Aria's father also lived. Lynn had agreed to maintain her youngest daughter in the same elementary school and school zone she had been attending since kindergarten. Lynn began searching desperately for a place to move. Rent in the county she lived in was expensive. She planned only to lease one year and to buy a home at the conclusion of the lease. When looking to move, it seemed as if all the places under 1400 per month went very quickly and everything under 1000 hardly existed. They were the ones nobody wanted, so they didn't allow dogs, which Lynn had too. With five days left of the lease, <clears throat> Lynn found a townhouse online for 1100 a month. The rent included water, pest control, and gas for the heating system. It was on a dead-end street in a quiet area, 
<clears throat> excuse me, allergies, and had just been renovated. It was in the county and a 25-minute commute for her daughter's school. Everything was new. It allowed both of her dogs and had enough room for everybody. Lynn looked through the pictures and took a virtual tour, as did 250 others, according to the counter on the page. She called the leasing company and asked to be emailed an application. They told her that another couple had just applied and that they were not approved, that she was the second on the list. Lynn completed the application quickly that, that afternoon and paid the $50 on refundable processing fee. Lynn got a call the next morning that she had been approved and to come to the office with the first month's rent and deposit. She asked if she could see the townhouse. Someone from the management office agreed to meet her there and have the sign and have her sign the lease at that visit. Lynn had until midnight to change her mind. There were two other applicants for the townhouse that applied after she did, and they were also approved. Lynn loaded her van with boxes to be moved. She prayed this would be a good move, and really, she had no choice at this point. Even if it wasn't, she would have to proceed anyway. Time was of the essence. When Lynn arrived on Becky Dobb Street, the townhouse appeared to have just had the renovations completed. It also appeared to need cleaning. Lynn was distracted by the filth. When will it be ready for moving in? Lynn asked the person from the management office. Well, it was already supposed to be, but we will have it cleaned this afternoon and you can start moving in this evening, they replied. Lynn did not have the chance to inspect the spirits. She either signed the lease or it would go to someone else. Lynn liked the layout of the townhouse. It had a, black, it had a back patio and a yard for when she needed to let her dogs out. Under the conditions, under what conditions can a person terminate the lease without penalty, Lynn asked the lady from the management company. If something is to come up, we always try to work with the tenants to resolve any issues, the manager said. Even if the place turns out to be haunted, Lynn asked. The manager gave Lynn a funny look and then said, yes. I accidentally brought home well, I'm sorry, I accidentally bought a home that was haunted, Lynn explained. And I do not ever want to be in a situation like that again. Have there been any complaints of the townhomes being haunted? Not that I'm aware of, the manager said, still with an odd look on her face. The company would work with you if something like that ever happened. Lynn said a prayer, took a deep breath of faith, and signed the lease. Feeling uncertain yet hopeful, Lynn drove back home and waited for the cleaners to finish at the new rental so that she could drive back in the loaded van. She scheduled movers to move her furniture the following week. This time frame was, was cutting it really close. Lynn received an email that the townhouse was ready for her to move in and was given the code to get the keys out of the lockbox on the front door. Upon entering the house, the floors appeared to be clean, but when she entered the kitchen, the stove, oven, and refrigerator had not been cleaned at all. The bathrooms were not clean either. Lynn had been under the impression that everything was supposed to be brand new. She unloaded her van and placed the items upstairs in the master bedroom. Then she phoned the management company and informed them that the townhouse was not clean. Lynn took photos and emailed them to the office. She received a call back the next morning and was told that, after the renovations had been done, a couple had lived there for four months and then had gotten evicted. This was the reason for the dirty appliances. Someone from the office would be stopping by to get the block box off the door. The person on the phone said, Show them what still needs to be cleaned. Lynn got off the phone and looked around tiredly. She doubted that the carpet had even been professionally cleaned. The bathroom drawers were still full of soap and half-used toiletries from the previous tenants. The closets were full of old hangers, the kitchen cabinets with plastic food containers from takeout food. There were even dirty dishes in the dishwasher. The refrigerator crisper doors were cracked almost in two. One of the door shelves had the rail broken off. 
refrigerator door handle was loose and looked like it was ready to fall off. The manager arrived and then walked her through the home, pointing out what needed to be done. It doesn't look clean to me either, the manager said. We'll send someone tomorrow. Lynn continued to make trips back and forth to take fragile items to the new place and to start to put things from, from the boxes away. As she stood in the master bedroom hanging up clothes, she observed, out of her peripheral vision, a young girl standing in the doorway watching Lynn. Hello, who are you? My name is Lynn. The ghostly image looked over her shoulder, then back at Lynn. The little girl had an, on an off-white colored mid-calf dress with black boots buttoned up the sides. Her long, medium-brown, wavy hair was pulled back at the sides and was held in place by a large bow on the back of her head. Her dress had an apron over the front with lace trim that matched her dress. I mean you no harm, Lynn said. The girl looked over her shoulder again, as if someone was coming. All of a sudden, she ran out of sight. Lynn realized then that she was going to have to clear the house that evening to remove the ghost. Lynn went back home and loaded more boxes, then drove them over to, to the new residence. As she was unloading and putting things away, she realized she had forgotten the items needed to bless the house. She preferred not to do the blessing alone. She wanted her life partner, Bill, to be there with her. Bill would be there to help in three days when he got off work. He was a seasoned truck driver and drove shuttles at night to a large, for a large food distributor. Lynn figured since they wouldn't be sleeping at the new rental for several more nights, it would be better to wait for him to come so they could do the cleansing together. Bill and Lynn had known each other since kindergarten and lived in neighborhoods close by to each other growing up. They went to the same schools and rode the same school bus. After high school, they both went their separate ways. They each married and divorced. Eventually, they came across each other on Facebook. Neither had been looking for a relationship at the time. Despite that, it was love at first sight. The tall, blue-eyed, muscular, handsome Bill swept Lynn off her feet, and they both have been together ever since. During the beginning of their courtship, Lynn had told Bill about the haunted house she had bought but was never able to live in. Bill had responded by telling her about his ability to clear haunted homes with a special technique he used that worked every time. Thinking of her home in East Flat Rock, Lynn wished she had re reunited with Bill sooner. As Lynn cleaned out the kitchen cabinets and put down shelf paper, she heard a mumbling whisper. Her kitchen window faced the parking lot, so she assumed it was someone out front trying to talk softly to someone else, perhaps on their phone, since she didn't hear anyone responding to the mumbling. She finished up and drove back home, where she packed more items and stayed up into the early morning hours before sleeping for a short time. She spoke with Bill on the phone and planned for him to do a blessing on the new townhome that weekend. She loaded her van yet again, then took her daughter to school and headed straight over to wait for the cleaning person to arrive. Finally, the clock struck noon and Lynn called the management office to see when the cleaning person was coming. The office gave Lynn the phone number where the cleaning lady could be reached. Lynn called and left a message for call back while waiting. Lynn made one more trip to her old place and loaded her van with more stuff. She had hoped to get one more load in before picking up Ari up from school. Lynn was on the way to Becky Don Street when she got a call back from the cleaning service. The maid apologized for not finishing the cleaning in the new place. I need to warn you of something, said Frances the maid. I know this sounds weird and you'll probably think I'm crazy, but do not move in there. Why? Lynn asked perplexed. I know this. That place is haunted, Frances said. The whole building, but especially the one you're moving into, and the one next door to yours. Lynn felt a sinking in her stomach. Her body went numb. Is it the little girl? She knew the answer before she heard it. Yes, Francis said. 
Lynn described the young girl and Francis not only confirmed, but also added a few more details about the girl's appearance. And it turned out the details were correct. There is more, Francis continued. There is a thin older white man with black eyes that whispers in the bathroom. He is very scary and he feels evil. He has the reason I was not able to finish cleaning the townhouse. While I was getting ready to clean the upstairs bathroom, the creepy man stood in the doorway in front of me whispering, Get out, you biatch. We're going to say biatch. Okay. Get out. I tried to ignore him at first and started cleaning the toilet. But then all of my cleaners that were sitting on the bathroom counter fell on the floor. I said out loud, I'm leaving, and picked up the cleaning products and left as fast as I could. Francis took a deep breath. I'm sorry, but I will not step foot inside of your townhouse again. The corner of your living room is like a vortex, a negative one. Did you report this to the lease company? Lynn asked. Yes, Francis said. Not only me, but none of the cleaning people want to go in there for the same reason. Even with that, though, the management doesn't believe me. Francis then offered to pay Lynn to get a different service to come and clean instead of her. She was that scared. She didn't want to return. Lynn could hardly believe her ears and was sickened to be stuck in the situation she was in now. I pulled over to a parking lot. She, I'm sorry, she pulled over to a parking lot and contacted the lease company, asking to get out of the lease. They would not honor being haunted as grounds for ending a brand new home with lease. They told her they would sue her if she didn't complete the contract. I was told at the time of the signing of the lease that you would work with me if I had any issues with the townhouse, they informed them. I even asked specifically about the town, townhouse being haunted. She stated the name of the manager who had worked with her. That agent is no longer with the company, they told her. Well, the cleaning people have said that the house is haunted too, Lynn said. They refused to clean it because they were scared away. They still threatened Lynn with a lawsuit if she tried to break the lease. Lynn got off the phone and sat and cried. She called Bill and left a message to be called back and then phoned her sister. Her sister also could not believe this was happening again. Lynn could not believe she was stuck in this situation and that she actually had to live in it with her children. She started, she started to pray and sob, asking, why again? Most people don't even have to go through this in a lifetime. But twice? Really? God? And this time it's worse, because I have nowhere else to go and I have to live there. I'm sure you have a plan for me, but I wish you would give someone else a turn. Enough is enough. Lynn sat for a few more minutes. Then she realized she had to hurry up and drop the, thing, drop the things off at Vicky Dawn Drive and pick up her daughter from school. Lynn pulled up into her parking space at Becky Dawn. She felt very different, as the motivation for moving, uh, for moving in was waning. She dreaded going inside. She said a prayer asking for protection as she unloaded her items. Lynn opened the door and walked inside. She stood tall and walked in as if she owned the place and set the boxes down on the kitchen floor counter. Sorry. She turned around and firmly stated out loud in the room, I know you're here and you need to leave. I'm not afraid of you. I live in this townhouse now, and you're not going to be allowed to stay here. Either you leave, or I will help you leave. I know about the girl who is held prisoner here, and if she can hear me, I'm going to help you cross over to see your family on the other side. Lynn finished up unloading and left to pick up her daughter. Once back to the place that they were moving from, Lynn made arrangements for a cleaning service to come. She asked what the price would be for both the townhouse and Becky, Be Becky Dawn and the home she was leaving the, um, leaving the time constraints. Now, we're cutting it close to the point that she was not going to have time to do the cleaning in their old, pla their old place herself. 
Lynn made arrangements for her daughter, Aria, to go and play at her friend's house, while Lynn took two more loads over to Becky Don. On the way, Lynn received a call from Bill, and she filled him in. Bill reassured Lynn that he would come to the townhouse on the weekend, two days from them, two days from them, and do a clearing. He insisted, or he instructed her in the meantime, to fog out the house with dragon's blood incense. Lynn agreed to start the dragon's blood that evening. While at the townhouse, Lynn's son, Austin, showed up with a load of his things to be moved in. Lynn greeted him at the door and held the door open for him to bring his things in. Then she asked him to step outside so she could update him on the status of the townhouse. Is something wrong? Austin asked. I'll talk, I will talk to you outside. Okay, Austin said, but I can tell by the look on your face something's not right. Lynn stepped out with Austin and told him what she had been told and what she herself had experienced. Realizing that the mumbling whispers she had heard previously in her kitchen were not from someone outside. Austin was disappointed, but glad that Bill was coming on the weekend to manage things. Lynn asked Austin to stay with her while she attempted to bless the house. He agreed to stay. Lynn fogged out the house. Then they both left and headed back headed back to each getting their load. For Lynn, this was her final load as the moving truck Coming could move the rest. She remained away from Becky Don for two days, getting the larger items ready for moving and packing a lot more boxes. Austin also lost interest in moving and wanted to wait until the movers came before he would go back to, to Becky Don. Lynn was looking forward to Bill coming over to the Becky Don house on Saturday. The cleaning company paid by Francis was coming Saturday afternoon, and Lynn's furniture was being delivered on the following Monday. Everything seemed to be falling into place until Bill called. And said he had the flu. Lynn understood. He was concerned about the move. Saturday evening, Lynn went to Becky Dawn to make sure the townhouse was clean this time. As she turned to pull into the parking lot, she noticed the sign advertising other townhomes available at Month's End. Written on the sign in broad black letters was the word haunted. Lynn wished that they had been written on the sign the day she met with the manager to sign the lease. She would not have signed it. Lynn parked her car and entered the townhouse. It was very clean. She didn't feel like staying, since it was getting dark. <clears throat> she needed to get a few more things ready for the big move in 36 hours. The movers were coming Monday morning at 8 a.m. Lynn was actually dreading the day and wished there was more time. Before leaving, Lynn walked into the living room and placed a hand-sized statue she had of Jesus holding a cross in the corner of the room where Frances had mentioned she thought it was a vortex. Monday came, and so did the movers. They had everything loaded in two hours and headed to Becky Don. Lynn and Austin drove ahead in different vehicles, also loaded with electronics and other fragile items. Austin arrived first and wanted and waited outside for everyone else. Lynn pulled in after the moving truck seemed behind her. Lynn entered the home and got it open up for the furniture to be brought in. The unloading went smoothly. The movers set up everything for Lynn, including everyone's beds. Lynn saw hers and sighed. This is it. No turning back now, she thought. That night, Lynn got ready for bed, as did Austin and Aria. Aria went to bed first, since so she had school the next day, then Austin. Lynn stayed out, putting things away in the kitchen. The evening was eventless. It was getting late. Lynn took a shower in preparation of getting into bed. The shower floor was extremely slippery, and the towel bar inside was pulled down by someone who lived there before and had not been repaired. Lynn stood very carefully under the water. 
moving very slowly and deliberately so as not to fall down. She planned to get a no-skin mat for inside the shower the next day. She felt odd in the bathroom as she remembered what Francis had told her about the scary mat. She went in and put sheets on her bed and laid out clothes for the morning ride to school. Aria appeared in Lynn's doorway. I want to sleep with you. Please go back to bed, Lynn said. I'm going to be up a little longer, putting things away in here. Aria complied, but then showed up again 30 minutes later. I can't sleep in there. Aria complained. Something keeps waking me up. I want to sleep with you. All right, Lynn said, exhausted. You can sleep with me. Aria ran into her room and grabbed all of her sleep time stuffed toys, plus a few extras, and piled them on the Lynn's bed. Then Aria crawled in and covered up a sheet, and she was asleep before Lynn came back into the room from brushing her teeth. Lynn turned off the light and put Zeus, one of their dogs, up on the bed. The other Lily, the other Lily, always slept with Austin. Lynn set a prayer of protection for her and her family before finally drifting off to sleep. Morning seemed to come too fast. Lynn woke up and still felt totally drained. She got Aria up and guided her to the bathroom to get her dressed while Lynn went downstairs to pack her lunch and make breakfast. Aria came down to eat and get her shoes on. Then they left and headed for Aria's school. Aria's school. During the ride, Lynn assured Aria that she planned to work on her bedroom to get things settled. And when you come home, you can put your spe- you can put your special touches. Lynn was hoping this would make Aria more comfortable. When Lynn returned home, Austin was up and leaving for high school. I have something to tell you, he said. I'll text it to your phone. Austin got into his car and texted Lynn. The text read, we need to get this house blessed soon. I couldn't sleep last night because something kept playing with my hair. I got fed up with it and told it to stop and to go away. Then it started tapping on my, my nightstand next to my bed. I got up, put in earplugs, and laid back down and finally got to sleep about 2 a.m. Austin slept nightly with a light on in his room. He refused to turn it off. Ever since his experience, ever since his experience in the haunted house, they had bought it. They had bought a decade before. It frightened him as a little boy so badly that even as a grown adult, he would continue to leave it on. Lynn contacted her sister Mary to add her to her prayer chain for protection at her church, and her other sister Lisa to give advice on things she could do to protect her family until Bill could come and go to home. Both sisters were left very concerned about the news of the haunted townhouse. Lisa told Lynn to light prayer candles and play demon removal music out loud in the room while sleeping. Lynn googled music for that purpose and planned to do it when she returned. Lynn loaded empty boxes and garbage bags into her van and left to go back to the place they were moving out of. She worked on taking the remaining food and toiletries out of the cabinets and boxed them up. She called and confirmed the cleaning service would be coming the next day to clean. Then told them she would leave the key outside and money to pay them on the kitchen counter. She, w- she would be returning the following day to do her walkthrough with the landlord, return her keys, and get her deposit back. Lynn returned to the townhouse, and the people next door were having some kind of worship meeting in their home. The music was very loud, and the minister could be heard through the walls, as if he was standing in her townhouse. She could hear every hallelujah and praise God. The disturbance was a welcome one. Lynn chuckled to herself and thought, that's enough to blow any entities out of this house. She responded to every praise God she heard with an, with an amen. This worship went on for 30 minutes. Lynn was glad she had not hung any pictures on the walls yet, but she had. The loud music would have knocked them off. The townhouse on the other side, number three, was vacant, 
leaning model. Lynn thought to herself how much noise there was going to be when someone moved in. The wall seemed paper thin. She could hear the television from the townhouse next door in her master bedroom upstairs, even though it wasn't that loud. She could tell that someone was watching the little mermaid. All right, guys, double tap that screen, double tap that screen, please. I'm trying to build up my likes. That'd be great if you could do that. Show me some love on Facebook. All right. Lynn left, left to pick up Aria from school and stopped at the grocery store. They arrived home and Lynn lit the prayer candles in the way Lisa had instructed her to do. Then she fixed dinner for the family. The evening turned into night in time for Aria's bed, bath and getting into bed. Lynn hoped that night number two would go better. Aria wanted to take her bath and asked Lynn to stay in the bathroom with her. I'll be right next door preparing your room, Lynn responded. Aria negotiated. Can I leave the door open? Why do you want to leave the door open, Lynn asked. I don't know, Arya said. I just, I just don't like being in here by myself. Okay, Lynn said. You can leave the door open, but pull the shower curtain shut for privacy and just in case your brother comes home. A little while later, Austin came in the door and up the stairs. He noticed the bathroom door was open and shut. Open the door, Arya screamed. Lynn went back and told Arya her brother was home and he turned off the light. Call me when you're ready to get out so I can shut the door while you dry off and get in your pajamas, Lynn told Aria. Why is she bathing with the door open? Austin asked. She saw something about that room she doesn't like, Lynn replied. Austin and Lynn were very careful not to say anything in front of Aria about the possibility of the townhouse being haunted. They also didn't openly discuss it in the house. Lynn got Aria settled in her bed, then went downstairs to clean up the kitchen and wash the dishes. Afterwards, Lynn organized the pantry and put away the food she had brought back. An hour later, Arya came down the stairs. I can't sleep. I want to sleep with you, she said. Lynn got her to drink of water and encouraged her to go back to bed in her own room. Arya spoke up and said, I can't. There was a girl playing with the toys in my room and she was making the toys turn on and light up. What does the girl look like, Lynn asked. She has long hair with a big bow and white dress, Arya said. Lynn knew it was the girl she had also seen. She also knew the negative energy drop that would take place, having that sort of spirit in Arya's room. Lynn felt that she would be able to protect Arya better if Arya slept with her in her room until the blessing. So as not to alarm Arya, Lynn told her she could sleep with her until the weekend, and this would give her more time to get everything put away and sit up in Arya's bedroom. Lynn got Arya settled into her bed and told her she too would be coming to bed shortly. The neighbors were obviously downstairs, their TV was blaring, and the upstairs was quiet. Lynn went into the bathroom to take her shower before bed. She could hear someone in the shower directly on the other side of the wall calling out for someone to bring them a towel and razor. Lynn finished in the bathroom, and as she exited, she saw vapors in front of her go through the wall into the empty townhouse next door. Lynn said a prayer and asked for her and her family to be protected. Then she went downstairs and dubbed off the candles and let the dogs out. As Lynn turned off the lights downstairs, she could feel something watching her. One of the dogs lingered with Lynn and started to growl at something in the living room. Lynn started to hum Amazing Grace and stated the Lord's Prayer out loud. While doing this, she felt something breeze past her, headed for the front door. After this occurrence, the dog stopped growling, and followed them upstairs, 
and put him on the bed as well, and crawled in herself. Lynn was awakened by bumps in the night. However, she could not be sure that the sound was from her neighbors or from somebody in her house. Then, at 3 a.m., she was awakened by definite tapping on the right side, right on the, on the nightstand next to her bed. She said a prayer and told her to leave her home and not to return. Lynn lay back down and had no further incidents that night. It was awesome. The next morning, Linda did again got Aria up for school. Aria got dressed quickly and came downstairs. Lynn was still packing her lunch and had not gotten breakfast ready yet. Lynn commented on how well Aria did getting ready this morning and asked Aria to go back upstairs and get the dog so they could go out. Aria hesitated. Can you come with me? I don't like it up there, especially when you're not up there. The expression on Aria's face told Lynn she was really uncomfortable. So Lynn said, yes, I will go with you. And the dog rolled it out. Lynn then finished packing Aria's lunch and made her breakfast. Then she dropped Aria off at school, went home, and got ready for work. Lynn worked from home and had the luxury of setting her own schedule. She had been able to give herself a week off to move. Now, her schedule was full for the day with clients she had to see before Aria needed to be picked up for school. Lynn completed her scheduled visits and picked up Aria. Lynn didn't feel like cooking and asked Aria if she would like to eat out. Aria gleefully said, yes, Molina's. After their early dinner, they went home, and Aria got ready for cheer practice and completed her homework. Then out the door, they went again. When they arrived home, the next-door neighbor from a number five was outside with his wife. Lynn introduced herself and asked if her dogs disturbed them at all. They said they could hear one whining at the door when she left. But it would stop after a few minutes. Yes, these walls are people thin, Lynn said. They agreed. Lynn directed Aria into their townhouse since her brother was since her brother was home. I was glad when I saw you moving in, the name really said. You seemed to be quiet. The couple that got evicted in horrible fights that would go on to the early morning hours. We could hear the man hitting the woman, and we had to call the police, sometimes even twice a day. How long have you and your husband lived here? Lynn asked. Eight months, the neighbor replied. But we're getting ready to move. What about your lease? Lease? Honey, we've had enough of this place. I don't care about no lease. Our bathroom sink has been backed up for over a week, and no one has responded to our calls. Our AC went out, and they tried to blame it on us after we had only lived there a month and tried to make us pay for repairs. When they finally sent someone out, it was a problem with the unit itself. When we moved in, the management company kept changing, <clears throat> so we didn't even know who to pay to our rent to. Once we find a place to move, we're not going to pay the last month's rent, since we won't get our deposit back for ending the lease early. Anyway, Lynn asked about the sign out front where someone had written haunted. The lady looked at her and said, we have church service at different times of day to bless our house and keep them out. We're not aware of a problem in ours, but I have heard officers talking about units 3, 4, 6, and 8 being haunted. People talk about all kinds of things happening like their covers being pulled off and everything. The lady's husband was calling her to come inside. My name is Kelly, but everyone calls me Cookie. What's yours? Lynn. It's nice to meet you, Lynn, said Cookie. If you need anything, come on over. Thank you, Lynn said, and went inside. Lynn got Aria settled into bed for the night, for night number three, and then sat down to do her paperwork downstairs on the dining room table. She had to get her schedule in order for work the next day. The night was uneventful, and Lynn was glad. The next morning, Lynn returned from dropping Aria off at school and went straight upstairs to take a shower and get dressed to go see her clients. 
then got out of the shower while drying herself, she heard the mumbling whisper saying her name and ignored it. She felt very vulnerable here. Very vulnerable. Here she was in the bathroom, naked, with some presence, supposedly a man, standing in the bathroom with her. And he wasn't invited to be there. Lynn got her bath alone quickly. She heard it again and whispered, Lynn. Lynn said out loud, you need to leave right now. I'm not afraid of you, and in the name of the Lord, you need to be gone forever. I live here now, and you need to get out. It made a hissing sound as it exited the room and flew down the stairs. Lynn felt violated and dismayed. The thought of her, her son, or her daughter, being watched by the wretched old man made Lynn furious. On her way to work, Lynn spoke to Bill and told him what had happened. Bill said he would come the next day to bless the house. He did not like the idea of any man, dead or alive, watching his girl and her family in the shower. That was the last straw. Bill said he would come as soon as he got off work in the morning. He was going to sleep at the townhouse and, uh, and bless it when he got up. Lynn was thankful, my stomach's growling, and anticipated his arrival. It was going to be difficult to clear the townhouse. It would likely take more than one attempt because the, because the, the, the two homes were connected like apartments. Entities could travel between the homes through the walls and the floors, making it much easier for them to hide. Lynn finished her day and picked up Aria from school. Aria was to have visitation with her biological father the coming weekend, which was a good thing. She would be away during the clearing. Once she left Friday morning, she would not return until Tuesday after school. This gave Bill more time to go over to the house thoroughly. Lynn got Aria settled into bed and followed shortly after. At around 2 a.m., Austin came to Lynn's door, asking her to come to his bedroom. Something was in there, Austin said, and I wanted to leave. Lynn looked in the room and didn't see anything. It must be gone. It kept standing on my, at my bedside, Austin said, and bumping into my bed, shaking it. When I told it to go away, it whispered, get out. And that's when I got up and came to your door. Lynn reassured him that Bill would be there the very next morning and he was going to remove as many as he could. Good, Austin said. I'm going to sleep on the floor of your room tonight. That's what we did. It seemed like Friday morning was never going to come. Bill arrived while Aria was getting ready for school. Austin heard him come into the townhouse and move to the couch so that Bill could sleep in Lynn's room. Aria came down, thrilled to see Bill. Mommy, can I stay home for school today? No, Lynn said, and you'll be going to see your dad this weekend. Aria asked when Bill would be coming to see her again. Next weekend, I'm going to come and take you to Aunt Marilyn's cabin in Balsam, where you can swim in a jacuzzi and go mining, Bill told her. Aria squealed with happiness and hugged him. I wish we could do it right now, Aria said. Bill reassured her it would happen soon. He told her he loved her, and he gave her another hug. Then took Aria to school and dropped her off. And dropped off her overnight bag, then continued on to see her clients. She finished before lunch. When she arrived at home, Bill was still upstairs sleeping. Lynn started to get some of the things out for the clearing. She went through the entire house except the master bedroom and front and rear doors, which she would do later, and started blessing every wall, ceiling, and floor, and every cabinet and closet with holy water. This was the, <clears throat> this was to seal the ability of the spirits to come and go leaving them less chance to hide or to avoid getting returned to where to avoid getting returned to where they came from. Lynn left the front door and rear door alone so as to crack them open and give the spirits the opportunity to leave the premises on their own. 
Bill woke up around 3 p.m. and started the clearing within the hour. He did a thorough plasma removal. The entities could be seen trapped in a chemical compound. Lynn then sealed the front and back doors, as well as the master bedroom, with holy water. She followed with a smudging with sage to neutralize the leftovers of negative energy. Lynn then sealed each corner of her home with a, with a substance-filled bowl and a stone embedded in it. And just for extra measure, she put salt at the outside thresholds, the front and back doors, as well as each windowsill on the inside. Everyone slept peacefully that night and many nights after. The following weekend, Bill, Lynn, and Arya went to Balsam as promised and had a great time. Arya didn't want to leave. Bill took Lynn and Arya out to breakfast and then home. To Lynn's surprise, while she was gone for the weekend, people had moved in next door into the townhouse number three. It was a woman and a man that were friends and decided to rent together to save money. Paul was home most of the time or working, and Kimberly stayed at her boyfriend's a lot, or her boyfriend would stay with her at the shared townhouse. This, of course, made arguments between Kimberly and Paul. Lynn was glad they were pretty quiet, and she made friends with them quickly. Both Kimberly and Paul were smokers, and because the townhomes were in no smoke zone, the two would be sitting outside of their townhouse often. Lynn did not smoke, but she passed them on the outside frequently and would stop and visit. Months passed, and Paul started to resent, resent Kimberly's boyfriend staying there, eating the food and running up the electric bill with his video games. Paul did men, but never brought any of his male friends over to spend the night. One night, Paul was sitting out front of his townhouse while Lynn came to take out her trash. She and Paul got into a conversation about the townhomes and the walls being paper thin. Paul told Lynn that when people were on the other side of that, when the people on the other side of her still lived there, he could hear their gospel music even through his walls and thought it was coming from her townhouse. No, Lynn laughed. It wasn't me. They talked about all the management changes that continued to happen. Then Lynn mentioned the townhomes being haunted. Paul's eyes got big and said, Girl, we need to talk. Because weird things have been happening in my place, too. He started to tell her about something in his room at night that would pull his covers off. My towel in the bathroom was always on the floor, even if I'd been the only one home. And I very, and I very carefully hung it up after my shower, he said. Then one night, I thought something was touching me everywhere, including my private parts. It wasn't sensual. It was like being poked multiple times down there. I don't know what to think of it, but now that you've mentioned it, things are starting to make sense. He also mentioned the tapping on his door or his table next to his bed. I've also been downstairs and heard the pots and pans rattling in the cabinets, Paul continued, like all of them at the same time. Then another time, I was outside smoking a cigarette, and when I went back inside, all the kitchen cabinets were wide open. Again, this was during a time when he was home alone. He continued to talk about the TV and certain lights turning their cells on and off. I don't even like to go inside my house now, Paul said. Lynn gave him some dragon's blood and told him that perhaps when Bill returned, it would help clear his house too. Paul liked the idea. Bill would come and do a touch-up plasma removal. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Bill would come and do a touch-up plasma removal one other time during the year. Lynn had to live there. He wanted to ensure that platforms had not been met. Platforms had not been manifested, which could create the possibility of a host 
for negative enemies in Rancho. Then survived a year. She had learned a technique from Bill that really worked to remove the spirits. Okay, if you guys, as we go on, I need some water here. If you like what you see, double tap that screen. Like I said, I'm trying to get up to 4,000 likes. Probably back a sense of the guys, I'm sorry. And you know what? I think since it's 7 o'clock, I'm going to go ahead and stop here at Chapter 9. That's it. Because if I read Chapter 9, it's going to take us into, unless you guys want me to continue, because if I read Chapter 9, it's going to take us into probably 7.30. So, totally up to you guys if you want me to continue. Um, I guess I'll continue. No. Okay, now I'm going to go ahead and continue. I'm so into this book, it's not even funny. I hope you guys are too over there on TikTok. Oh, sorry about that. The allergies, are, since the weather's done weird, weird things now, allergies are starting to rise and blah, blah, blah. Okay, um, chapter nine, recreational drugs and alcohol and addiction. So let's move on with this. Embodied humans would be horrified if they could see how many apparitions are joining them at a happy hour or on their cigarette break. Some are pretty gruesome. When souls choose not to cross over at the time of death, they remain addicted to whatever it was that they were addicted to before death. Due to the lost soul's residual addiction, they still crave the addicting source and are actually sitting, sitting next to some embodied people during their cigarette break or in the bar, enjoying cocktail hour, or with the person in the peep show who thinks they're having a private moment. Guess what? They're not. Lost souls huddle close to close to smell the fumes of the alcoholic beverages or cigarettes and, and cigarettes and marijuana, as well as whatever else they're addicted to, like huffing Pam spray and glue. Yikes! Or they are peeking over one shoulder while they're watching adult movies, as the saying goes: "All habits die hard." Think about the times one has been in a bar in a restaurant setting and gets the brief smell of garbage. Or sulfur wafting by, and it may not be some, it may, it may not be someone's breath or your friend's stomach releasing. And if one thinks they're having a private moment at the girly peep show or watching pornography regularly in their home, you might want to shoot, scoot over a bit. The addicted lost souls want to watch with you. God isn't the only one watching. One might have a whole room full of an acquired dead fan club waiting for the movie to start. Some of those lost souls may like what one is doing so much. They decide to stick around and never leave one's home. And when they move in and decide to stay, just think. In addition to watching adult movies with you, they'll also be watching your spouse and children naked and bathing too. Here is some perspective. Just here's some perspective. Just think how it would feel to have your twelve year old daughter or son being oogled by a bunch of old fat dead guys while she or he is getting out of the shower and dressed. If the souls are addicted to pornography, a naked body is a naked body, regardless of who it is. The dead people aren't picky. They just need their fix. And perhaps you're the one who has invited them into your home. People who have ghost issues in their home often wonder why it's so hard to remove a ghost or demon from their house. They may have encouraged it to stay without even knowing. Or when a, clear, or when a clearing house has been finished, and two weeks or more later, a lost soul's returned. They're creatures of habit, 
the same as when they were people. They have to stick around if you continue to if you continue to provide entertainment for them. They might even be whispering in your ear, encouraging you to watch the movie or choose the drink they want. People encourage them to come back because of the lower realm activities of one's daily life. It's like rolling out the red carpet for your minions, begging them to come back. So get out of your denial and clean up your stuff. When those sorts of entities are in one's house, demons often follow. And when one has any of these in their home, it can drain the life out of them by stealing their energy in order to manifest, making the embodiment soul feel tired and weak and totally drained. We all know what chronic fatigue and lack of sound sleep can do. They lead to chronic conditions that are no fun to have. Of course, demons like this. Because then it may, it may put one in the position to have to take medication, which might lead to more medication for the side effects of the original medication and addiction. Then there is the pain a demon can inflict on a person. A person who normally would never take prescribed pain medication may start to take it, genuinely seeking relief and accidentally becomes addicted. The negative low vibration entities then rejoice as they watch and get their fix from the rippling effect of negativity the drug addiction makes for this person's family and even their community. Then attachment comes into play, and one then literally has a monkey on their back that loves to encourage them to continue any behavior that lets the attachment control the person and send their life into a downward spiral. Men can see action, can see archons, whether a person agrees, whether a person agrees they have one or not. They appear as spiders, crab-like creatures, or reptilian lizards. They are the size of backpacks. They attach from behind. They grip the person they have attached to around the top of their torso. This is the upper anchor. They have four toes or index finger-like appendages that they use to hold on onto the anchors. The lower anchor attaches at the venous dimples at the bottom of the lower back. When an archon, archon, I don't know the words, A-R-C-H-O-N, okay, attaches to an individual, it leaves indents on the person where the upper and lower anchors are. So even when the archon, I'm going to say archon, has been detached, if it's wrong, somebody correct me, has been detached from the person, it is still visible where it was. Even the indents behind also makes it easier for, the, for it to reattach. It is true that having a lost soul who is addicted or a demon in one's home can, exa can, can exacerbate one's addiction. And the person's addiction draws, draws the minions to them. It's a vicious cycle. Clearing one's home of ghosts is more effective when the person's addiction is being earnestly worked on or they're entirely sober. And if those of you living in denial have been told by a family member or friend more than once that you have a problem with substances, perhaps you need to listen to them and not the monkey on your back who wants to keep the chaos going. If you have a problem and think reducing how much of a substance you use instead of quitting makes you no longer a substance abuser, you're wrong. The problem that set you up for the addiction in the first place is still there, and you're lying to yourself. For example, alcoholics are still alcoholics when they stop drinking because the addiction doesn't go away. It simply goes into remission. The temptation, which is a monkey on their back, is always there. The disease of addiction is the worst illness that anyone can encounter. It lurks in the shadows and destroys families and take lives. 
It brings the otherworldly into the terrain of the human realm. On the outward appearance, alcohol, pills, injections, or inhaled substances are the worst types of addiction people for people because they disable one's ability to make sound decisions and be responsible. It impairs their ability to function productively as well as their ability to embrace real joy. When a person is under the influence, most of the time, it's like the lights are on but nobody's home. It creates a void between the addicted and the family members. It numbs out emotions and blocks the addict from fully embracing life. They function, but they don't live, and sometimes their functioning is even subpar. Once five motor skills are blocked. If you don't have an addictive personality and enjoy an occasional indulgence, make sure that you don't have to start making excuses for needing it, or that it's illegal to be doing it. Then there is nothing wrong with having a glass of wine with dinner. However, having half of or the whole bottle is a problem, especially if the bottle is gone on a daily basis. Oh, especially if the bottle is gone on a daily basis by the same person, or the bottle is empty every time that person's off work. There's nothing wrong with having a regular sized beer or two after work. The whole six pack or multiple large canned beers equaling a six pack would be another story, however. Anything combined with recreation, recreational drugs can be considered addiction, and enough to have demonic minions coming around to wait for an opportunity to attach to a person. Recreational drugs such as marijuana are more natural and used perhaps weekly can often have better medical medicinal effects than, other, uh, than adverse ones. However, it is a gateway drug, meaning it opens the door to taking other types of drugs that are not good for a person. No one should be taking medication that is not prescribed to them or in a dose exceeding the prescribed amount. The reason is not only the possibility of having an attached entity that constantly encourages one to do more, but more importantly, when one is high more than once in a while, or more than weekly at the most. Their soul often separates from the body because their system has been constantly tainted with foreign chemicals for a period of time. The soul is left partially in the fourth dimension, yet it's still anchored to the earthly plane by physical body. Having one's soul lifted to the fourth dimension is not a good thing. It leaves their body without protection. A person who is on earth is supposed to stay embodied in order to function here. This is why, often, oftentimes, when a person is high, they comment on seeing things the others can't see or hear. If someone has really contaminated themselves with outside sources, such as methamphetamines, they see unusual things. This is because the physical body is, is in a toxic state and fights to gain equilibrium while trying to stay alive. One soul may not be able to completely re-embody re by itself after this, sort, after this sort of shock. We are here for service and learning. When one, part, when, when one parties the whole time, one doesn't complete what they came here to do. If one messes up, they get to come back and do it all over again, and sometimes in worse conditions. One may come back as a child of, of an addicted person instead of being the addicted parent, forcing them to live through. Okay, instead of being the addicted parent, forcing them to live through all the dysfunction, pain, and chaos of having an addicted parent. Parents who are under the influence are blind to their child's emotional and psychological needs. 
They often don't model good successful behavior for the child to learn either. Yeah, they often don't model good successful behavior for the child to learn. Sorry, I'm a little off to the children today. Addiction is selfish and unnecessary. So if you do not want to be, I don't want an attachment or dead lost souls cheering you on, then get your addiction under control before you leave this earth. The sooner the better. If you like what you hear, guys, show me some love. Double tap that screen. Double tap that screen, please. You are believed to have an addiction if you know that you have one or if your family and friends tell you that you have one. This is regardless of whether one person feels they do or not. Lots of people in denial walk around here on earth. They can easily be picked out in a crowd because their spirit or soul is riding about four to ten inches above their physical body. Or they have a specific type of creepy attachment. If you cross over a death with an addiction, you will be sent back into, an, into another life. If one chooses not to cross over, they reside in the fourth dimension. The things that are stuck in the fourth dimension are often bullied by demons or their minions and are controlled by a demonic entity. Here's what we're going to do this. If you're uncomfortable with this, again, this is the PG-13 rated R, pay, you know, rated R show. Please move on. Do not turn me into social media police or anything like that. This is somebody's opinion, opinions and beliefs about what happens after you, after you die. Or what happens to some people after they die. Okay, so we'll just keep it with there. I have full permission from the publisher and editor to read the, the, the publisher and writer to read this book. All right, like I said, if you're uncomfortable with it, feel free to move on. No, you know, no hard feelings. Once in the fourth dimension, lost souls can see people on the third plane that cannot see them. The surroundings remain the same to them, even after years of change and renovation. It's kind of like they are stuck in a time warp. One in the space that was once the lost souls, such a home they previously lived in this person. They feel violated. They act out accordingly. The lost souls are lonely, as they cannot communicate with their loved ones. They will try, but they will feel ignored. They only have other beings in the fourth realm to connect with. That's not good. Next topic, Ryan. Double check everything. Okay. All right. Ryan was an alcoholic and crack addict. Ryan started drugs at about the age 13. He was a functioning addict as he climbed the ladder from bag boy to assistant manager of the meat market in a reputable chain grocery store. There had been talk of advancing him to manager. Ryan was very good at his job until he started using crack. His employer confronted him about his drug problem. If you don't get into rehab for your drug problem, his boss said, I'll be forced to fire you. Ryan agreed but never went. About a month later, Ryan was let go from his job and was given the option to return once he had completed rehab and had been drug free for a year. This was the job he had worked so hard for and been so successful at. Ryan had a bright future with this company and a six-digit income in his future if he stayed and became a store manager. It was a very real possibility for the future. Ryan ended up losing his job, his home, his girlfriend, and his car. He was left to eat out at Dunster's and started prostituting herself to men for money, all within six months. He started getting in trouble with the law. During one arrest, he called his youngest sister, Lynn, and she bailed him out, hoping he would turn over and leave. Their father had a duplex basement, ah, sorry, their father had a duplex basement and allowed Ryan to live in there to get him off the streets. 
things went from bad to worse. Within two months, Ryan had sold all of the appliances and water heater in his family's duplex and took the Wally unit out to pawn for drugs. Ryan walked over to Lynn's apartment several times looking for money. Lynn would pack him six peanut butter and jelly sandwiches along with apples and something to drink. She would allow him to shower while she washed the clothes he had on. One time, she even gave him her flip-flops as he had no shoes. However, she would not give him money until the day he came to Lynn's apartment and told her that he had just pawned the AC in his apartment and their dad was coming over to mow the next day. He was afraid their father would notice the big hole in the wall and asked if Lynn would give him $13. Lynn agreed to get their father's AC unit back. However, she would go with him to get it instead of giving him the money. Ryan directed Lynn to the house. While Lynn drove, Ryan told Lynn a story from two days earlier. I broke into a drug dealer's house to steal drugs, Ryan said. The police came and entered the house while I was there. I hid inside this guy, the, the guy's house and covered myself with the guy's dirty clothes. A policeman came into the bedroom and opened the closet door. I laid in the pile of smelly clothes, holding my breath. The policeman's shoe was, was within a few feet of my, few inches of my face. Let me do this. Drink, drink, drink. Brian was relieved when the policeman finally left the room. He lay there for about 30 minutes more until the police finally left the home. But now, I'm afraid for my life because I owe some people money, and they're looking for me. They pulled up to the crack house with grass grown waist high and wide open for a door. Lynn was afraid to go in, so she gave the 15 to Ryan and told him that he better come back out with the AC or she would report Ryan to the police herself. Ryan went inside and was in there for about 15 minutes. While Lynn waited, several cars pulled up to the house and went inside and left quickly. Lynn became concerned that Ryan was taking so long. She started wondering what would happen if the police came. Would she be arrested too, just for being there with Ryan? The last thing she wanted to do was enter that place looking for her brother. Ryan finally walked out with the AC unit and lowered it in her trunk. Lynn took Ryan back to their father's duplex and helped Ryan lift the AC back into place. The next day, Lynn went to Ryan's probation office to report her brother. She didn't have an, op she didn't have an appointment and sat for hours waiting for the officer, who had been out in court all day. When the officer finally arrived back to the office, it was within 20 minutes of closing time, but he agreed to talk to her. Lynn told the probation officer her concerns about Ryan, possibly ending up dead due to his drug use. I would rather have him either in jail or be court-ordered into a drug and alcohol rehab center, she said. The probation officer checked to see if there were any grounds to put a warrant out and pick Ryan up. It turned out that Ryan had missed his last probation visit and had not paid his fine. The probation officer felt that would be grounds enough for a warrant. A warrant was put out for Ryan's arrest. Lynn told the officer where to find Ryan. The police went over the address given, picked up Ryan, and arrested him. The conditions for release were that Ryan had a choice, either jail or rehab. He chose rehab. They released Ryan and gave him until noon the next day to show up at a place called CARP. See? C-A-R-P. Ryan understood that if he didn't do this, he would be arrested again and would go to jail for several years. The probation officer called in and said, one way or the other, he'll be forced to stop taking drugs. 
Then her grandfather picked up Ryan and delivered him to the facility. Ryan was placed in intense therapy for six months. He was not even allowed to see or talk to his family. Then he continued for another six months in a less restricted facility that would introduce him back into life without drugs. Afterwards, Ryan became a highly successful business owner. He was married for over 20 years and had a beautiful home and an antique truck to drive. He was living the American dream. He had everything he wanted and more. After Ryan became sober, he talked about the demons that were enticing him and encouraging him to take more drugs. He said they never stopped and he felt like he had a monkey on his back, constantly whispering in his ear. He reflected back to a time when he was still on drugs and was getting ready to school crack, to shoot up crack. A demon presented itself right in front of him, saying, do it. Then he heard the chanting of other demons in the room, also saying, do it. I knew if I did, it would be my last breath, Ryan said. He dropped a syringe around out of the duplex. This was the night before he went to carp. Ryan carried a frog-like attachment on his back for years. It had a lizard-type body and lumpy skin on its back, like an alligator. The bumps went from his, from his shoulders to the cleft of its human-like buttocks. The cleft of its human-like buttocks. The head was smaller and disappropriate and, and, and to its body. With a human-looking face, no hair, and a floppy, horn-like fin at the back of its head, that was attached from the top of its head to the nape of its neck. The attachment's head could turn 360 degrees and could do this over and over without needing to unravel. It had four fingers that had bulb, that had bulbous, I always have problems with this word, bulbous, it, bulbous it, endings and frog-like legs used for jumping. Even after Ryan got his addiction under control and got the attachment off of it, the attachment still followed him wherever he went, just waiting for the chance to reattach, constantly tempting him. Lynn always knew that Ryan was thinking about coming to visit because his creature, his creature would show up at Lynn's house before Ryan would. Lynn and her family would observe a frog like Henry that would jump from counter to corner to corner on the ceiling in her home. And there was a drawing of this thing. Creepy. Wow. Jeremy. Jeremy was the oldest of six children. He was raised by his parents, Margaret and Wally, until he divorced when he was 12 years old. The children, two of which were a set of fraternal twins, were born so close together that the mother's parents paid the two nannies to help out with the children. Margaret was, was an heiress to a soda brand and a large fortune upon her parents' death. Jeremy spent his early years living in a house that his maternal grandparents bought and provided for his family. His parents, in, in addition to the six children, always seemed to have additional people and strangers living in the home, along with the family. Some of those guests were people rushed to release from jail. One was a homeless man picked up on the side of the road. Margaret's family was constantly financially chipping in to make life better for their daughter and her family. She was a stay-at-home mother, and her husband's income was not enough to provide for her and the children everything they needed. Hoping to help the situation, Margaret's parents were very generous and bought Wally a floral shop. They even paid for floral design school for him to start a business with. They had hoped he would have a better income and be able to provide for his family on his own. He was successful with his floral shop for many years while he hid his secret. 
Wally was not grateful for the gifts provided by Martin's parents and would be heard bragging that he married a rich girl. He could be a very cruel man and was overheard openly discussing his sex with Margaret in front of the children, which was very gross and upsetting for them. Jeremy was always a neighborhood bully and a hellion. He took every opportunity to take advantage of others and lord his larger size and lord his larger size over them, especially his brother William. He did evil things. One time, when a couple with a two-year-old son was staying at the family home, Jeremy got the child out of his parents' view and held his hand over the child's mouth and nose, watching him fight for his life, and only released the child when he passed out. Nice guy. Jeremy was never effectively disciplined and was allowed to victimize anyone he wanted. Wally, who truly hated women, all right, here we go, guys. Okay, remember, we don't like what you hear. Just move on. Do not turn me into Facebook police or TikTok police or whoever. There's other places you can go where PG-13 are rated show. Wally, who truly hated women, sexualized Jeremy at an inappropriate age by leaving his pornography loosely laying around for all the same watch. Wally was a mar- narcissistic clo- closet homosexual predator. He would even make jokes to the boys telling them not to glue the pages of the magazines together. He left them for Jeremy and his underage friends and siblings to look through. When Jeremy's parents divorced, Margaret got custody of all the kids, all six kids, who at that time ranged in age from 2 to 12, and moved to Louisiana. She quickly became overwhelmingly depressed. Margaret's depression turned her into drinking and drugs. When Jeremy was only 14, she introduced him to drugs and alcohol. As a teenager and a young adult, Jeremy was in and out of trouble. His mother kept bailing him out. Jeremy's mother gave him cars and a fishing boat, hoping, hoping it would turn him around see, one time, onto a different path, but it never did. He married young and had his first child, was his first of four daughters shortly after. When that daughter was about four years old, Margaret saw Jeremy doing something to his daughter that, that no father should ever do. She enlisted the help of her second son, William, who went to the police to report the sexual misconduct. However, the police refused to do anything because of lack of proof. Jeremy bragged about killing a drug dealer with his friend, Barry, during a drug deal, claiming that they threw the body in a lake. Then, after years of drugging and drinking, he settled with another wife. He ended up in jail for shooting his wife in the face. She died. He was later, he was later found dead in the cell. Is believed to have committed suicide. When he died, Jeremy chose not to cross over. After his death, family members and friends and a friend reported seeing his ghost around for several months after he died. One friend, a girlfriend of Jeremy's brother William, swore she saw a man with Jeremy's description in her backyard early one morning. It was around 6 a.m. when Lynn went to let, the, let her daughters out. As she stood at the sliding glass door, waiting for her dogs to come back inside, she saw, out of her peripheral vision, a brown-haired man in blue jeans and a white t-shirt running quickly from behind the tree in her backyard to hide behind her daughter's slide. She recognized the man as Jeremy and continued to peek around the side of the slide. Another day, Lynn had lain down in the afternoon to take a nap when the bed shook. Waking her up, she saw Jeremy standing at her bedside in the same clothes as before, watching her sleep. Then a few days later, Lynn woke up to find Jeremy standing at the foot of her bed, only this time with his shirt off, bare to the waist. Lynn told him to leave. 
His brother complained of Jeremy waking him up by poking him in the back or whispering to him. One of the sisters felt his presence while, hear while hearing her kitchen cabinets only and closing. Jeremy is as defiant as ever. He still remains in the fourth dimension, and many like him, pestering people with his attachment and addiction still intact. What may be fun for him now will not be in 70 years after all the people he knew here on Earth have crossed over and his soul is still stuck. People who choose to have an addiction create havoc for everyone in their life in one way or another. The addiction creates a wake or rippling effect of anger, sorrow, emotional pain, and financial strategy. The ripping spreads through the family and friends, eventually destroying most things the addicted one wants to keep. Because of the constant numbing of emotions, addicts are not able to fully give or receive love. Addiction also causes a detachment from God. People with addictions are basically flipping God off. He gave them life and a body to take care of because each of us are on earth for a purpose. When addiction gets involved, it derails the plan. When people with addictions choose to cross over, they are welcomed and sent right back into a similar lifetime of turmoil until they get right. People who have addictions carry their very own personal demonic attachment, and there is nothing one can do about it but stop the addictive behavior. Those that are in denial, making excuses for their need for the substance or act, are only fooling themselves. They are avoiding blame and making excuses by claiming they need what they are addicted to. Valerie. Lynn attended the funeral of a cousin of Jeremy and William. The saddest part was the eulogy. It had nothing to do, it had nothing to tell about the legacy of this woman's life. No good deeds, no making a difference in other people's lives or the community, no esteemed accomplishments, other than that she had two sons. It said her, her most it said it said her most proud moment was smoking pot once with a famous country singer. When the relative at the podium asked if she if anyone else had anything to say about the person. Only one son stood up and simply said, she'll be missed. Another person spoke out of the crowd, and again the comments revolved around her drug use. Nothing else was said about her, and sadly, that was all there was in her life, being high. She was a millionaire. Her fortune was inherited from her mother. She never really worked and had multiple homes at the same time that were left in filth and shambles. Her cat's litter boxes were so full in her home but the cat urine was, was leaking from the second floor through to the dining room and kitchen ceiling. And then dripping out of the floor below next to the dining room table where people would eat. Her two grown sons who hadn't graduated from high school not only had not only had any ambition, still lived with her. Neither was working. Neither was working. Her deck was covered with dry animal excrement. It had been there so long, the excrement had turned to crumbling dust, with fresh excrement on top of it. The weeds in her yard grew in some places as high as her roof, with overgrown bushes blocking the front door entryway. And all she had accomplished in her life was having two children and being stoned most of the time. What a waste. She had every opportunity to make a difference in this world, and she did nothing but get stoned and party. Doesn't it make one wonder what a person is going to say to God during their life review? If someone spent their life so drugged up or inebriated that they cannot remember their life like weddings, graduations, babies, you know, first steps and births, the holidays and birthdays with loved ones and special moments. 
the person didn't miss those didn't miss those the events because they weren't physically there in fact they were they missed them because they could not remember much and in some cases anything at all if one who has crossed over does not get their addiction under control before leaving the earth's plane they're sent back in to do, to do a do-over or for those not choosing to cross over they're left lost in the fourth dimension roaming earth all right that's going to do it and uh, we'll be back next week at 6 p.m pacific to start with chapter 10 and continue the this, it's a good book it's a good book tomorrow uh uh catherine catherine Tomorrow, Karen Clark will be with me at 10 a.m. Pacific. We're going at a different time instead of our usual 6.30 show. But she will be with me at 6.30 p.m. Pacific, and we're going to be talking about some heavy paranormal hauntings that we have had the chance to investigate. So come on in at 10 p.m. or 10 a.m. tomorrow Pacific. I want to thank everybody for coming. I really appreciate it. And uh, TikTok, what can I say? Thank you so much for attending, for those that came. Same thing with Facebook and all these other places that were, that were watching tonight. I really appreciate it. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. I try to be equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. TikTok, if you are interested in watching the other shows that I do during the week, we have a lot of great guests lined up, great topics. You can do that at youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. And that's every day at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Okay, guys, that's it. I'm going to call it a night. Have a great evening and uh, finish to your weekend. See ya. <laughs>